everybody. This is Andy Marquette. I am joined by my colleague and friend, Jove Bell. We are Women in Words, where we talk about things on the Women in Words blog, but also things that are not on the blog because, you know, we're at Women and Weeds, too. Yes, we are. Hi, Jove. How Hi. are you? Hi. I'm good. I, uh, Yay. It's, it's Friday. Um, oh, God, thank you. That's Praise. really all I have to say about the day. Um, okay. <laughs> do you have a story? I do. I do. I do. I do. So, uh, okay. I think, I think I maybe told you about this before, but I'm going to, I'm going to like recap, uh, dear okay. listener, my youngest child, Noah, um, is very fond of doing things like, uh, coloring his hair right now. Half of his hair is dark black and the other half is like bright pink. Right, split down the Seems middle. Legit. Yeah, oh, totally. It looks badass, and he's like kick ass at putting on makeup, and he's got like uh, mm-hmm. far too many things in his head pierced. Like he goes out of his way to stand out, right? Mm-hmm. But he gets very Uh-oh. insecure sometimes, and like gets upset because he feels like people are staring at him. Mm. Which you know, that's that's a rough thing to uh, try and deal with when you're, you know, a kid. And so yes. when Tara, Tara try, you know, tries to make him feel better by saying, you know, if, of course people are staring at you because, you know, you make yourself stand out. Stare up? Yeah. So, <laughs> of course, people, people are staring because just of the way you, you know, you make yourself stand out in the, in the world, right? And mm-hmm. that upsets Noah even more. He's like, what? So you're saying that it's my fault? And then he, you know gives you know comparisons mm-hmm. to things like rape culture and it gets very heavy very quick and then Tara's all frustrated mm-hmm. has no idea how to mm-hmm. how to deal with the kid it's it's really kind of funny to watch the two of them well Noah's very enlightened though yeah I mean let's give him props oh um, yeah but it's it's pretty damn funny to watch him and Tara like try and find common like- ground <laughs> just because you know Noah does come up with things like what are you saying it's my fault? Like, if I wore a miniskirt, then I would deserve, to, you know, and just like, you know, what what 12-year-old <laughs> says stuff like that, right? So, it right gives, on. It, Go Noah. It gives Tara hell. But, um, so, I talked to him today because I'm like, you know, this poor kid, he's feeling like he's doing something wrong or like, you know, something is wrong with him because people keep staring at him. And so mm-hmm. I approached it like I do, like, cause he's such a champion about, you know, like trans issues because it's something that he understands is important to advocate about. Right. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, listen, I know it's it's not fair that people want to stare at you because of the way you want to be yourself and express yourself. And you should be allowed to do that without being stared at. But, you know, people people evolution takes time. So the fact that you are being bold and being brave and going out and, and, you know, you have, you, you do fun and bold things with your hair and with your, your face and with, you know, you are, you are doing the work to help change people's minds. And, you know, so yeah, people are looking, Mm -hmm. but for those people who, who want to express themselves and not be judged, but aren't brave enough to do it for themselves to, you know, to take those chances for themselves, you're doing, you're doing the hard work. And it's, you know, it's just another form of advocacy for you. And suddenly he feels mm-hmm. so much better. Like that was all it took. He just, no, he, well, it's, it's absolutely true. He just needed to feel like a champion and then he was fine. Well, it's absolutely true though. I mean, there are probably younger kids or even older, older students who, who do feel 
cloistered, like they can't express themselves. And so they're, they're looking at Noah and thinking, wow, that guy's got really great artistic sense, A, and B, a really great family support system. And I wish I had that so that I too could do that. But that person will not ever forget Noah. Well, it's not, yeah, it's not just that, but it's just like, you know, look at this, look at this kid, this 12 year old kid who is so bold and so badass and refuses Mm. to, you know, to, to, to confine himself to, you know, the, the gender, gender norms defined by culture, you know, he's, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, he does the things that he wants to do because they're the things he wants to do, not because they're the things he thinks he should do. Right. He's a badass, that kid. Total badass. I I really just I'm very proud of him. He makes me just feel like sometimes maybe I'm a good parent. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes maybe. Not, not always. You know, today has been Dear a, listener, parenting yeah, is hard. Parenting is really fucking hard. And today's been one of those days when, you know, parenting is just kicking me in the teeth. So and no, I don't want to talk about being kicked in the teeth as a parent because I, that's depressing. I didn't say a word. Didn't oh, no. say a word. That was more of a me being, you know, proactively defensive, which isn't really oh. defensive if it's proactive, but I'm, not, you know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. I don't um, know exactly what to say I, about you that. You know, this, the thing, you know, talking about Noah. Yeah. I made like me think about, about this art. Yeah, of course. It made me think about this article that I just read. Uh, out in Out Magazine, and it's called, the article's called Queer Youth Rejecting Labels Like Gay and Lesbian Study Finds. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that a large percentage of LGBTQ plus youth identify with a label other than those in the acronym. A new study from the Trevor Project reveals, and dear listener, the Trevor Project is a helpline for LGBTQ youth, a uh, suicide hotline, and just a helpline in general. They have great resources. I think you can find them at trevorproject.org. Um, the findings could have significant implications for understanding the lives and needs of queer youth. So, so what the fuck does it does this all mean? It means that more than one in five youth described by the study as LGBTQ describe themselves as something other than gay, lesbian, or bisexual. Uh, of the 21% of youth who describe themselves as other, many chose queer, trisexual, omnisexual, or pansexual. 6% wrote in their own terms, such as asexual, polysexual, abrosexual, graysexual, androsexual, bicurious, homoflexible, heteroflexible, massexual, omnisexual, sapiosexual, two-spirit, and more. So the point is, friends, and Joe, you and I have had this conversation, there is now within our lexicon, the language now allows queer youth to express themselves, I think, more fully and and more authentically than our generation was able to. Mm-hmm. You and I grew up acculturated to the binary. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you know what's really cool though too, it's not just it's not just that the language language exists. It's that the knowledge and the understanding that ah, language is evolutionary english is a mm-hmm. living language mm-hmm. and they can create new terms they don't have to accept the terms that exist and i love exactly. that love I, that so well the study says that the respondents differentiated between um ro- romantic and sexual attraction writing things like biromantic homosexual or asexual panromantic 
Others included two or more sexual orientations or relationship types, such as pansexual and queer and pansexual and polyamorous. The the researchers analyzing the data suggest that youth are attempting to use their own terminology to express the complexity of human relationships. And simple labels like gay and straight do not capture the nuances important to many youth. And frankly, dear listeners, those don't capture the nuances overall of the complexity of relationships or of people in general. And I wish that I had had knowledge of, of this kind of, of these nuances mm-hmm. when I was growing up because right? being acculturated to the binary um, and I, and I was reading this article and I was thinking about it and you know, all my life I have mostly identified as gender nonconforming and lesbian and lesbian and gay are terms that are not really part so much of the queer youth lexicon. Um, I do hear some young lesbians refer to themselves as lesbians because that, you know, explains that they are almost exclusively female attracted. Um, but I wish that growing up we had this kind of language because there are so much diversity and complexity within human expressions of relationships. And it, it, the binary just does not capture it. Mm-mm. And we, and, and queer youth too, are socialized to that binary. And queer youth, fortunately, are sort of stepping away from it and trying to create something that is much more inclusive and diverse and really does try to capture the spectrum and the, and the incredible fluidity and absolute amazingness of human sexual expression and human identity. And, and yay, kudos to them for that. But the, the article notes that one of the problems or one of the, the things that can, can be problematic here is like developing resources thus that can, that queer youth can access that really does speak to all this varying spectrum. And that is proving to be a little bit more difficult than in the past. I think that ultimately we're going to end up with a, with a a more simplified language. Like right now we're Mm -hmm. in this like massive expansion, you know, phase Mm -hmm. where there's just all, you know, this huge, conversation about what terms are actually best to use right but yeah I, I think ultimately it's going to narrow back down there will be a consensus and it'll make things simpler I just love the fact right now that by you know leaving room for all this all these, mm-hmm. all these this language all these words it's just making people really consider like what do you want to um, how do you want to identify and I'm mm-hmm. I'm digging that I think that's really badass I, I love it. Yeah. And, and I, what I hope though, and I know that this does happen in the queer communities is, uh, you know, tone policing and term policing and identity policing. Um, I, I would just as an, and not an admonishment, but maybe more of just something to be on the lookout for is it's great that there's all this language to express yourself and to kind of help nail down who you think you are and, and how you identify. But just remember that it doesn't make you the special unicorn that yours is the only way. Right. Just remember that others have their ways of identifying too. And if someone is identifying as lesbian only, that's fine. Mm-hmm. They, oh, it they is don't fine. need Absolutely. to 
identify as queer. They don't need to identify as pan. They can just be lesbian if that's what they want and who they are. So just remember, you know, be supportive of your fellow travelers in whatever ways you can. and, And don't tear other people down for not falling into or following what you're doing Mm -hmm. because they may be perfectly comfortable identifying that way. So just a, just a little, a little advice from Auntie Andy, just saying. (laughs) Anywho, that I was just thinking about that as you were talking about Noah and, and uh, you know, expressing himself in school. I think everybody needs to have a kid like Noah in their lives. I feel so, I mean, like Wyatt, when he was little, he was like a revelation to me. Just this complete, like everything about him. Like I, he challenged everything that I understood about myself as a human being, as a parent, as a communicator, as just everything. Mm-hmm. But now as they're older and Wyatt has figured himself out and, you know, cause he struggled so hard to do that when he was younger now it's it's Noah that I'm watching make these mm-hmm. make these choices and struggle with definitions of self and my God I'm just so proud to have these amazing children in my world like they're just so I don't honestly mm-hmm. know why I'm so lucky they're amazing they're amazing it's, kids and it's so cool to see I mean they can frustrate the hell out of you let's oh, not and they do and they do but. You know, giving them the room to really figure out who they are and and what paths they want to take, that is an invaluable experience and will stand by them throughout their lives. Speaking as someone whose parents did, in fact, give me those that range of motion. And I think that is one of the most precious gifts that my parents gave me is that they treated me with respect. Um, They put guidelines in there and boundaries appropriate boundaries but they also gave me fuck tons of room to explore yeah Yeah. and that was invaluable yeah that's cool my mom did not do that my mom you know what my mom mom in her own way she had her own way joe because you didn't turn out to be a complete freak no my mom taught my here's here are the two things that my mom taught me that i think really three things that truly shaped who i am first of all she taught me that truth is absolutely imperative whatever whatever the truth is you need to tell it Okay. So that's number one. Number two, she said, she taught me that, um, you don't get to judge anybody else's life. It doesn't have to match yours. It doesn't have to live up to your, you know, the, the rules that you put in place for yourself. You don't get to judge whether it's right or wrong. You don't get to do any of those things because, you know, that's a sin. It's a sin to judge other people. Right. So, you know, for her, there was very few things that you could do that would be a greater Mm -hmm. sin because, you know, God was very clear, you know, about judgment. And then Mm -hmm. the the third thing, and this is the big one, this is the key. Um, My mom really nailed home the idea that if you're not willing to talk about it, then you probably shouldn't do it. Right. Because, you know, her her thing Mm. was she was trying to, to teach me to have some restraint and to not do things because, you know, if I don't want to mm-hmm. talk about it, I, that, that should say something. All it really did was make me willing to talk about an awful lot of stuff she didn't want me to talk about. But, <laughs> but still those three, those three lessons, like, you know, that's how a woman who is, or excuse me, who was just incredibly, incredibly conservative and like, you know, King mm-hmm. James Version, Old Bible conservative. She was right? old school. That's yeah. old school. My mom, 
My mom didn't cut her hair. My mom didn't go to the doctor. I was born at home, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I never got immunizations. Like, when I say I grew up in a cult, I'm not joking. That shit's for real. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so, but that's how somebody who's that old school, hardcore, go God, raises somebody who isn't, you know, and, and, and I guess that's my point, is that you can, in fact, be religious and still allow room for your children to grow up and be who they are. Mm-hmm. So, cause my mom figured it out and I'm telling you, there are no more conservative. There's no one on the planet more conservative than my mom was. There just isn't. They don't, those <laughs> people don't exist. There are people who are bigger assholes, but not people who are more <laughs> conservative. That's a good point. Good distinction. Good yeah. distinction there. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Anywho, look at us in the weeds again. Always. Always. Okay, friends. So let's let's talk about the blog finally, right? Right. Yay. Yay. Okay. Uh, September 28th, Danielle Zion joined us, uh, one of our readers in residence, who does a lot of like, read this book, and I read this book, and this was awesome. Yeah. And, uh, yes. She was supposed to blog last week. I know. Uh, last Saturday, did she email you? Um, no, but she said she traded with Aaron. Yeah, she sent me she sent me an email and she's all like, so I was going to blog while I was on vacation, but then I didn't. And you know where she was on vacation? She was in fucking... Machu Picchu. Yeah, she was in Peru. I'm like, dude, there is absolutely dude, no reason for what? you to think you need to blog when the you're hell? in no, Peru. No, stop. <laughs> right? Oh my like, God, no, just stop. Yeah. Do not blog in Peru. But she was like apologetic, like she had done something wrong. And I'm like... The only uh, thing that you should be worried about when you're on vacation is, in fact, vacationing. That's it. That's mm-hmm. all you should be worried about. So, but she's cool. Yes, I she's she she likes to check things out. So I appreciate so, that. Yeah, some a groovy picture here of Machu Picchu, and Erin says she's one of those people with a bucket list, and she actually does check shit off on it. Uh, so Machu Picchu apparently is one of those items on her bucket list. And nice. though she does not have any novels set in Peru, she, and she couldn't find any lesbic about or set in Peru or even just Machu Picchu, but if you, dear listeners, know of any of those novels in lesbic and female female fiction, leave them in the comments because now I'm interested to know if there's any lesbic in there Machu Picchu. There has Pichu. to be some, don't there you has think? To be. There's got to be, right? There's got to be at least a mention of it somewhere. I think there's got to be. I don't know. Um, so... They did a hike, and she describes it here and says she had a little bit, got a little bit of altitude sickness symptoms. Uh, She says that they went on a trail that was, okay, so the ruins are situated, the Machu Picchu ruins are situated about 7,700 feet above sea level. Then they went 2,000 feet higher. Now, that can be a little bit brutal if you are not familiar with altitude or you didn't grow up there or you haven't acclimated to it. I grew up at about 7,000 feet and I gave myself time to acclimate because I was living at lower levels for a while and growing up at 7,000 feet I think gives me a little bit of an advantage because when I come back to 7,000 feet I'm like oh okay this is fine. Um, so altitude sickness is a real thing. It's for real, and it's to be taken seriously. So if you start feeling sick at altitude, and that means headache, uh, nauseated, just kind of funky, not feeling right, you may even puke, it is time for you to just chill out the fuck out, sit down, and drink water. Hydrate when you go to altitude if you haven't been at altitude. Hydrate. Drink lots of water. 
that will help with the altitude problems. Anyway, they made it. They made the hike, and it was amazing. And she, she said she then takes us off on a totally another tangent and wants to talk about, are you ready for this, Joe? Tennis, okay? <laughs> um, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm in. So it's good. She said something happened in September that had much of us north of the border, i.e. Canadians, totally enthralled and glued to our sports channels for close to two weeks. Um, this is the first Grand Slam that from Canada who has won, the, the Canadian Tennis Grand Slam winner. Dun, da, da. And that person was um, Bianca, uh, I can't pronounce her last name, um, uh, Andrescu. I think is her last name. But yes, that was so amazing to watch. Uh, and she, it's amazing. The first Canadian tennis player in history to win a Grand Slam singles championship. So congratulations, Canada. That was pretty amazing. Very uh, cool. So anyway, congratulations, Canada. We, we go now to tennis. So, so Danielle says, I haven't watched a lot of tennis over the last few years, but I've been reading tennis themed fiction and there has been some good stuff. Uh, more often than not, the romances are not between two tennis players, exception Yolanda Wallace's Breakpoint. Um, and then there's another book here. She mentions Rachel Spangler's Love All, uh, Lynn Ames's One Love, Player and and the romance between a player and coach that's RL Burgess's match point. And Alley Valley has also written a tennis themed novel love match. So Daniels, you know, gives us a, another list here of books, including um, one of the first tennis themed novels with lesbian characters that she remembers reading is, and Joe, I don't know if you've read this Rita Mae Brown's sudden death, 1983. Uh, you know, I, I probably have because I went through a phase where I literally annihilated everything that had Rita Mae Brown's name on the cover. Everything. Same. Same. I, so. I recall vaguely. Um, so, and Brown is really good at capturing not just the issue of the, you know, this is a tennis theme novel, but she also deals with the cultural issues that surround women and lesbians and family during that era that Danielle points out are sometimes still with us still present and you know here's this novel was published in 83 and i'll bet if you read this novel you will see things that you recognize from contemporary life today that are still fucking issues probably right I mean, uh, another one well yeah i mean let's we could go on for days about that mm -hmm. holy shit um another book that Daniel read is 40 love by diana simmons and it was first published in 1997 but revised 2010 naiad press some of you may remember that as the grand dame of lesbian publishing that is the first official i think lesbian fiction publishing house mm -hmm. that focused on fiction and genre fiction there were others that spinsters inc comes to mind seal press comes to mind but i think naiad may have been the first um and then 40 love was revised and reissued by bella books which i think bought naiad's list when naiad uh no. basically it I, wasn't i thought bold strokes did i'm now i'm gonna go now i'm gonna google it um you keep okay. talking 
because 40 Love was reissued by Bella, and I'm pretty yeah, but, sure Bella. Well, maybe it was just selective authors because I know, like, that's how. I think it was selective. Yeah. It was selective authors, but I'm. I, that's how Bella, Kate. I think, absorbed the original Nyad. And Nyad folded when Barbara Greer, I believe, retired. And anyway, y'all know your lesbian history. The New York Times just did a piece a couple weeks ago that Karen Callmaker posted about the history of lesbian fiction publishing. Look it up and check it out. Um, so anyway, 40 Love, originally published in 97 and revised in 2010. Um, Julia Ross is the rebel darling of the tennis world and suddenly finds herself on the road to recovery from any injury during this rehab. She is, she meets uh, Morgan and her mother, Elliot, the unwanted media pressure and unscrupulous husband complicate things. There's a cool twist. This one has a special place in Daniel's library. So sounds groovy. Uh, and then in 2018, and I do remember this one coming out code of conduct. And that is Cheyenne blue, a chance meeting between Viva Jones, a top 10 player with her better years behind her, trying to get back into the game and coming to terms with the truth of that, and she meets somebody, but I can't find out who it is. <laughs> so, but Cheyenne Blue, you and I have talked about Cheyenne numerous times, writes amazing stories that always incorporate... Lots of sex. Well, there's sex, but also she deals with the human condition in really interesting ways. And, and settings. Setting, yeah, and her settings are gorgeous. So... Anyway, this um, this is Danielle's favorite Cheyenne Blue novel. So there you go, friends. And if you're into tennis, drop us a line in the in the comments here and let us know. Because that's always fun to show reading lists. Mm -hmm. Just saying. Mm -hmm. Reading mm -hmm. is cool. Do more of it. Oh, you know what? It says here on the Wikipedia, and Wikipedia is open source, so I'm sure they'd never lie to me. Uh, they sold their current <laughs> stock to Bella. So you're right, but that is really just strange to me because I know that's how Kate Culpepper ended up at um, Old Strokes. So, but maybe um, I've got my stories all mixed up. No, because I mean, what happens in publishing is it Nyad probably offered the backlist their lists to Bella, and Bella took those lists and probably contacted the authors if they were still alive and asked, "Do you want to remain with us or do whatever?" And or Nyad may even have asked their authors, we're going to sell the list to Bella, um, but here's your chance to go elsewhere. Yeah. So that could have been what happened. I, I, you know, it's been so long, obviously, since I've talked to Kate um, about anything, uh, obviously, well, for obvious, obvious reasons. reasons. Um, but, Kate Friends is no longer with us. Yeah. And but seriously, dear listener, you really owe it to yourself uh, to go pick up if nothing else read her tristane series because yes you know absolutely it's just part of being a good lesbian dude <laughs> exactly um, but um, I swear she, it's fat she, she was amazing she was an amazing writer ma amazing storytelling amazing world building yeah but she um she made it sound like she didn't have a choice in the matter like it was just that's just where huh. she ended up and gabrielle you grab get gabrielle um gabe god Goldsby? Yeah I, know, yeah, I know who you're talking I, about. I, she was with Regal Crest for a while. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, I, fuck it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, don't I know. do. I, no, no. <laughs> I'm saying that I don't know which story I'm trying to tell. Because oh, apparently okay. 
I'm a fucking idiot. And I've forgotten all no, the important you, details. No, it's okay. It just, you know, details blur. Yeah, well, uh, so, especially anyway. in my head. Anyway, it's important to know your history and to know where the genres come from and to know who the originators were so that you can map new courses to the future. That's my attitude here. And regardless of how Kate and other authors ended up off Nyad on the bold strokes list, who cares? They were able to get their work out and we were, we have been able to read it. So yay. That's a big fat hooray in my book. Hugely. Yeah, absolutely. Big, Mm -hmm. big, 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 yes. So anywho, thank you, Danielle. Appreciate the tennis books because I personally really like a sports themed novel. So yay, I have more to read. Thanks for adding to my reading list. Woohoo. Um, moving along. Oh my God. September 30th, Yvonne Haidt stopped by. Yvonne, I've been worried about you. Same, you know, Yvonne, Yvonne has her own universe, shall we say, her own world. Dude, she fucking rules the world. No matter. She rules her own world. Wherever it is, she's ruling it. Yeah. Um, she also, back in 2017, I don't know if people knew this. She published, I believe she's self-published with uh, Regina Mitchell-Jones, um, a writing prompt journal called Capture a Muse. And this particular blog deals with writing prompts and, you know, maybe doing some stuff out of that journal. So how cool is that? I, writing prompts can be so much fun. Oh, for sure. I thought it was super cool when she did that. Um She's just, oh, it's a cool ass journal, y'all. So I mean, give that shit a look. She's you bad. can just look it up, capture Amuse Yvonne Height there, and you can find it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it, do it. Um, so I'm really glad to see Yvonne's back, and she has a writing prompt. Here's our new mission, Joe. A writing prompt chosen from the section of the journal. Walk this way. So here it is, friends, get writing. You, along with your companion, are walking down the street after having a meal in a restaurant. You come upon a street band playing some awesome music. Set the scene. Describe the street. Is it night or day? What kind of music are they playing? And that's what prompts like that are really cool because they get you to like start thinking about different elements of writing. Like she wants you to set the scene. There's your prompt. Now set that scene and describe it. As if you were writing a story. I love that. Look, look, look at Yvonne doing writing. Dude, that woman can write so... She, she, um, it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm, She's mm-hmm. got mad skills. Mad skills. Yeah. Mad skills. So thank you, Yvonne, for joining us and for reminding people about the Writing Prompt Journal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. Um... October 1st, Anika Batson stopped by, and Anika's one of one of our young people who does really thought-provoking blogs, and it makes me feel like I'm not cool enough to be blogging with her, but there you go. Well, don't you feel that way about just about Every, everyone? That, about <laughs> I mean, serious. serious. So true. So true. So true. So this one is titled Got Hope, and... She starts it this way. I'm not sure if it's due to the current socio-political climate, 
or if the stars have just aligned a certain way. But the major focus in most of my classes this semester is hope. As a disclaimer, I'd like to state that I am a forensic psychology major and a gender studies minor. We talk a lot about the future and what needs to change in both fields. We're thinkers and we're talkers. However, talk is talk. This semester, there's been a shift. We're not just talking about what needs to change and giving ourselves a pat on the back anymore. We're putting eggs in a basket, setting up walkouts and rallies, and feeling hopeful. Or at least that's what I think my professors want me to feel, especially since everything else feels so hopeless. I think the professors hope that we, the students, are angry enough to do something. And I think we are. We're a good bunch of activists and protesters. And I just want to do a major fucking shout out here to young people who have been leading the way in a variety of social justice actions, including gun control and climate change. Thank you, youth of today. I, they give me they give me hope, Joe. Fuck yeah. They're gonna so <sighs> I actually do have hope. Watching these young people, I do have hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Me too. Um, one of the things that, that she says is um, things have to change for better or worse. We're not a stagnant society, so things literally are going to change. I don't believe our efforts will be in vain. All the protesting, the anger, it's going to pay off one day. It has to. We're not erasable. Even in a hundred years, all that lingers of these days are the whispers of the beginning of a great uprising. That's still something that's still something. I don't think it's going to be something now, but I'm hopeful. I'm full of hope. Just not for us. I believe we are setting the stones for the people after us to build with. I said this in class a few weeks ago. My professor laughed, saying, it's funny. I think the same thing, but for you, you're the builder. And here's why, I, and she says, I disagree. I think my generation is a transitional generation. We don't finish the race. We just pass the baton. But I would argue that I think most generations do that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we build what we can and then we pass the baton to the next generation. And, and we, we try, at least those of us who really believe in this, we try to do the best that we can for our own generation, but also for the people coming up behind us. And Anika mentions, she's told this story before, but her she's, she's talked about how super homophobic her mom is and her grandma and probably her great-grandma and she says however my mom is trying to not be stuck her effort has caused me to grow with some very liberal ideas and that shift in mentality took one generation it took my mom living her life and giving birth to a gay daughter to make that change my mom is in her 40s and that is not very long that's a really good point if you think about it So she says, I think it's unfair for me to expect myself to build a whole new system of open thinking when people my mom's age are still very much alive and in positions of power. I know my mom loves me. I also know her love for me isn't enough to stop her from making a face at a gay couple. If I assume everyone in my mom's generation has had the same breakthrough she did, I'd have to assume that it wasn't enough to change the nation. But it's okay, because the generation after us are going to vote people like me into power, and that's when I believe we're really going to see a change. Um, Anika, it's not just going to be the generation behind you voting you in. It's going to be like my generation voting you in, because I'm like, fuck yeah, get up here. We need you. Uh So there. Everything you said, yes. Anyway. 
I love this blog because, you know, she's not like, yay, glitter and unicorns, everything's hopeful. She's like being really realistic and pragmatic about how hope can manifest and what kinds of, uh, of actions we can take and what actions might mean over a long period of time and a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I dude, love that. Dude, I, yeah. I feel like such a, like I'm copping out when I say like, you know, young people are like my kids, they're going to save the fucking world, right? Like I feel mm-hmm. like that's what I'm doing. But at the same time, dude, they are mm-hmm. going to save the fucking world. But I do. I feel like it's a cop yeah. because it means I'm not going to do it. But I think, and you know this about me, Jove. I've, I've been doing activism pretty much all my fucking life. And I always feel like what Anika said, like, you know, I feel like my generation is transitional and we're just passing the baton. I, I feel that way about my generation about our generation, that we're transitional, we're passing the baton. But in a way, no gener- generations are both transitional but also kind of solid because, you know, they leave their marks and there are those among us who do pass that baton and we say, okay, here's what we did. This is what we did over here. You take it from here and, and make it your own. Create what you need to create to make this a better place and then – just pass it along the line. At least that's what I like to think happened or happens. Yeah. I think uh, we have to believe that because otherwise we're just going to, you know, end up in a nihilistic puddle. <laughs> Which some of us do and are. They're, they're, I have my days. Just not, I, don't know. Um, I do want to say thank you, Anika, for posting that on my birthday. It was my birthday week. And I feel like this was a really good thing for me to read on my birthday. I really appreciate that. I Thank feel you. like I should say happy birthday again. So, happy birthday. Hello. Thank you. It was fun. Had a good time. It was mellow. Good. I love mellow birthdays. So just saying. Okay. <sighs> Thanks, Anika. Everything. Even mellow yellow. Oh, my God. Gross. You still drink that? No, I don't drink that. I didn't even know. <laughs> Is that even still available anywhere? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Is it? I just, mm-hmm. You'll find it in various corners of the planet. It's gross still, though. Dude. At least I never liked it. I, I never liked it because it always was like, tasted kind of like super sweet Mountain Dew. And Mountain Dew is already super sweet. So I oh, just could never handle it. I don't think there's anything in the... I don't think it's possible to have too much sugar in something. Like, I just... <laughs> I just... I look at that shit and say, challenge accepted. Okay. <laughs> Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Well, okay. There's a reason that I'm as fucked up as I am, too. Oh, well, yeah. No comment. It is, yo. Not judging. Um, okay. October, October 2nd, Carson Tate. Uh, she has a new book out. Of course she does. Carson Tate has a new book out, like, what, every week? Go, Carson. This one is called Leading the Witness. And, Joe, I just want to call your attention to the banner, how the image of the cover presents itself in the banner function of WordPress. Okay. Go ahead. Draw it to my attention. Look at it. And just... <laughs> the focus. And y'all, I just have to go see the banner. Okay? I'm just I'm just going to leave that there. Boobs. Um, but it, it's definitely leading the witness. But anyway... Um, boobs. I'm just going to say boobs one more time. <laughs> boobs. 
That's there. Okay. Anyway, Carson says that she spent the last week absorbed in the online stream of a headline-grabbing murder trial here in Dallas. And she says she knows the attorneys involved on both sides. And she's tried cases in the same courtroom, courtroom that is currently standing room only while the country waits to hear the final outcome. The intricacies of the facts and legal issues kept her glued to the screen. The tragedy that led up to this trial happened over a year ago. And believe it or not, getting to a trial a year after a crime has been committed is actually pretty fast. Yes, indeed it is. What has shocked many, though, is how fast the trial progressed. All told, from the guilt-innocence phase to the punishment, it will likely be over in less than two weeks, which is a fraction of the time that was spent by both sides investigating, interviewing witnesses, gathering evidence. While the trial is the main event, I've always enjoyed what comes before before the court rules on the admissibility of evidence and before the attorneys are locked in by whatever witness testimony comes out on the stand. Don't get me wrong, I'm drawn to courtroom drama, but often the investigation is the most interesting part of the process. So, dun-dun-dun, in her new book, Leading the Witness, Carson throws a defense attorney and a prosecutor together in that investigation phase where neither know where the facts will lead, but both are seeking the truth. And of course we all know what happens in those scenarios. Sparks fucking fly. That's a rule. Good rule for life. It's a good rule. And Carson's doing a giveaway. The winner will receive their choice of an ebook or an autographed print copy of leading the witness. So leave a comment about anything you wish and she'll draw a winner and announce the name later on yeehaw so yee fucking hi y'all yes i'm stoked i'm gonna read this one for show okay um thanks carson uh okay october 3rd rg emmanuel stopped by and rg's had a lot of stress joe as you know yes she's been super stressed so she took a few days and went to go be mellow She's been very stressed out physically, emotionally, mentally. She needed to spend some time doing nothing. And so she did. She took a few days last week and the beginning of this week, and she literally did nothing. Go for she her. Went, she went traveling. She sat by a river and did nothing. Go and, for her. Well, I think she probably had a cocktail or two, which is all good. And... The point of this blog is give yourself a break. The key is to shut off the machines, let everyone wait for your response, close the door, send the kids to someone else's house, a normal person, of course, order in dinner, uh, read a book, watch a movie, turn the phone off, tell people to fuck off. Just give yourself a break. <laughs> yeah. That, that is, I can just hear her saying that in her slightly Brooklyn-tinged accent. Just tell people to fuck off. Slightly my goodness. Girl, you have not heard a true thick Brooklyn accent. Apparently not because I Our think she's just slightly slightly Brooklyn. Like she's Brooklyn enough that I'm a little bit terrified. Mhm, mm but yeah, she's not even close to what some people in the hardcore scene are. Whoo, I've the hardcore Brooklyn accents, I can't sometimes I can't understand what they're saying. The hardcore. <laughs> it's yeah, and and I was teasing her about it. I was like, you don't sound as Brooklyn as some Brooklynites. And she's like, oh, fuck, no, I don't. And I don't know if that was deliberate on her part or what the deal is or if she because she grew up in an Italian household and just had, you know, spoke Italian for a lot of her youth. I don't know 
why her accent is not as thick as some of the other people I I know in Brooklyn. But no, she does not have a thick accent. Okay. I mean, it's noticeable, but it's not at all. <laughs> like, anyway. Okay. Okay. Anywho, point being, your friends, take a break. Yeah. For sure. Just take a break and be mellow and unplug and, you know, take care of yourselves. Self-care. I'm a big advocate of self-care. Question. And, um, yes. Is that her feet in that bathtub or is that like a stock photo? Just curious. Shit, I don't know. Huh. That looks like a stock photo. Okay. But what do I know? Well, I don't know. What do you know? Mm. <sighs> okay. Not a whole lot. Just leave it at that. All right. All right, friends. Um, yours truly, i.e. moi, Andy, fucked up and forgot it was her week to post a blog. So I did not post a blog. My bad. <laughs> Love you, mean it. It that's, was my birthday. Give me a break. That's okay. We still, We still like you. Thank you. So, Joe, we're done. Yeah. Do you have any announcements? No. Well, yes, I do. I'm going okay. to announce that I need to leave so I can go to the store and buy myself a new drill. That's my mm. announcement. Probably. I like that announcement. has nothing to do with publishing. And I'm hoping that the other 14 drills that I already own don't get jealous. Don't tell them. I, I think I won't. Good plan. All right. Take us out of here. Ha. Um, come on. <laughs> you have the power. Drive us. You, you're driving now, girl. Do it. Some days I just frighten myself. Anyway, uh, dear listener, this has been the Weekend Review for Women in Words. I am Joe Bell, here today with uh, my friend and co-pilot, Andy Marquette. You can find us online at womenwords.org. Uh, please, when you listen to this podcast, hit like or subscribe or, I don't know, things along those lines. Because... Yeah. When you push buttons, it helps the other lesbians on the internet to find us. And really, that's an important thing. We want them to find us because, you know, we want to be found yeah. by lesbians, especially. Yeah. yeah. Especially. Queers, especially, find us. Especially smart lesbians who read cause, and have words because, dude, yeah, smart women are words. super sexy. Anyway. True. Uh, until next week, thank you for listening. <laughs>